The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome back to Everybody is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf review podcast, where two of us with vastly different experiences of Red Dwarf, that being myself, who has uh, been watching for decades, and Adam here, who has been watching for a mere seven or eight weeks. Yeah, (laughs) I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm I'm coming back in. Am I allowed to officially call myself a a, a smeghead yet? Am yeah, I, am I, part, I think I, yes, so. Yes, yes. We're firmly into series two now. <laughs> we're in well, we're in series three. What we're recording, aren't we? So. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, I'm. I'm getting so confused <laughs> because I'm, I was editing series two earlier on today. So because we record these about six weeks before we put them out, so I was mm. editing series two episode two, two. to put out tomorrow. <laughs> At, at the time of recording, while we're yeah. recording series three, so, yeah, we're, we're even further in than that. Excellent, <laughs> so fresh. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This is the podcast where we're working our way through every single episode of Red Dwarf in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, myself from with two perspectives: myself who have seen it, uh, seen it many times before, and Adam who is seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we are up to the second episode of series three, That's which the is one. called marooned marooned and in this yeah. episode the crew abandons the ship as they approach some black holes and uh holly is going to stay behind and navigate around them while they sort of skirt off and rendezvous later uh, but mm. rimmer and lister go off in starbug one and cat and Crichton go off in blue midget mm-hmm. and unfortunately rimmer and lister find themselves crashing onto a ice planet and they have do. to survive with no power until they are rescued what it a gets premise very cold. yeah uh, <laughs> it gets very cold which of course doesn't affect rimmer in the slightest because he's no. a hologram but does mm. affect poor dave lister uh what were, your, what, what were your general thoughts on this episode it was an interesting one i mean we'll go through like bit by bit as we do but yeah this one was there was a there was a point in this one where i thought it's not really like as comedic as Red Dwarf tends to me, but at that moment was when I started appreciating it in a different way. But I'll say, well, well, I'll get to that when we get to that. But I want to kick things off by saying I'm still getting used to Hattie Haybridge being Holly. That's not in the answer. Because every time she pops up, I want to, even when I was typing my notes, the amount of times I typed Hilly and then had to delete it and put Holly because I'm like, you know. She she is Holly, but it's I just, have a yeah. feeling because we we discussed this last episode that uh, because of the fact that uh, Norman Lovett kind of ended up leaving the show, I think at quite short notice, probably mm. once the scripts had already been done. I think basically, I mean, for for the full anecdote that I got off of the. Uh, trivia section of imdb uh <laughs> listen to last episode but he basically didn't want to go to the rehearsals so that he ended up getting fired <laughs> that's that's the too long didn't yeah, don't, don't do that that's not professional any <laughs> aspiring actors out there don't just just don't do that <laughs> so. so so i think she was brought in at uh, quite a last minute and therefore uh-huh. and i said this last week as well all of the scripts i think were written with norman lovett in mind Oh, and yeah, and I think you can tell. You can absolutely tell well, with dialogue. Yeah. And I just don't think it quite fits uh, Hattie Herida's delivery in the uh-huh. same... It, it just doesn't quite work as well. And I'm I'm hoping, and I can't remember whether or not this is true or not, but that hmm. once we get past this series, that we get them writing more for her strengths, if that makes sense. Okay, see, that's interesting because I'd say, like, I still think her performance is very good actually like i still like her doing the even if they are in that style if anything it just made me it made me miss norman love it more and again that's nothing against hattie but i think it is because they're written obviously with him in mind uh she delivers them very well but my mind just instantly goes like oh but where's norman <laughs> where is he but um yeah i still have to sort of nail in my head that she's called holly and not hilly um they put a sort of weird filter on her face in this episode as well i don't know if you noticed it was because for like the last season season series 
uh, been watching too much classic Who. For the last series, they'd sort of gone with like the realism, you know, on, on when it was Norman Lovett. You know, there was no sort of effect. It was just his, yeah, you know, face and head. Whereas in this one, they sort of put like, I don't even know how you describe it, sort of like a, it was like they turned the saturation up and a face, it wasn't natural, if that makes sense. There was a filter there. And I just thought, I wonder why they did that. Because sort of like how Holly looked in series one, it just didn't look, just didn't look very good. Mm. Yeah, I didn't notice it massively. Uh, I think I vaguely sort of, it, it crossed my mind briefly, but it didn't put me off uh, at all didn't like no. weigh on my mind yeah no of course and when i mean before they you mentioned it in the synopsis but before they go in um before rimmer and lister go and crash we get a uh, little comment from rimmer about alexander the great because you see lister believe it or not he told me that in a previous incarnation i was alexander the great's <laughs> chief eunuch <laughs> What did you think of that payoff? Because obviously, like, I think the joke's designed, you know, as it starts and he starts going on. I was like, oh, yeah, of course, Rimmer and Alexander the Great, of course, perfect match. So when he said it, it did catch me by surprise in a good way. But part my instinct was like, I don't know, is part of me thought, is the build to it a, a little bit too long? No, I don't think so. I think okay. I think they're getting into the rhythm now of these jokes that... They, they do build up to them and they, they sometimes do take a little bit of time. But I think very much in the first and sometimes in the second series as well, we were getting... we I think we both felt they went on too long a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. But I... I and it sounds like that's still the case for you. You still think there may be some... Because I think you said one about one joke last week as well, that sometimes yeah. they're going on too long. But the ones this series so far for me have gone on just about the right amount of time. Okay, I will admit it's. I don't feel they're as laboured as some of the ones, especially in series two, were towards the end. I just think, for me, and I think it, it just feels like it's like one line too long, one or two lines too long for me. But I still, as I say, I still like the payoff, the chief eunuch joke. I did find really funny, and it, I also thought, yeah, of course, Rimmer was the, you know, he was never going to be Alexander the Great, bless his heart, was he? He was always going to be the the butt of the joke, as he as he so often is in this series, blesses. Bless his heart. And also, was there a, if I remember, well, there was a very sly, like, nymphomaniac joke about his Yeah, someone... there was. What was the line? Um... I just made an innocuous comment. I merely voiced the rumour that McWilliams was sexually tilted in favour of sleeping with the dead. And I was like, ooh, that's a very subtle, dark joke that can <laughs> escape a, a 15 plus rating. So <laughs> yeah, there were a few jokes like that in this episode, I think. You yeah. that uh, verge on the uh, <laughs> on the risque slightly. Uh, well, this mm. whole episode, might, uh, I think this is um. Well, one thing to say is this is very much just a Rimmer and a Lister episode. We get a little oh, bit yeah. of we get a little bit of Holly at the beginning. We get a little bit of Cat and Crichton at the end. We don't get yeah. much of them really the whole episode. This episode is very much focused on them and their relationship. Oh, yeah. Which it's is a two-hander. It's a, yeah. it's a two-hander. It's really good. I think um, I read that Craig Charles said it was either his favourite or one of his favourite episodes because Ooh, okay. it could be done. It's It's got the same feel as like a stage play. It's got the feel of a state two-hander stage play. I'm glad you said that. I did write in my notes. I was like, this is later on. But, you know, I wrote this is very stage play you yeah know? and i would i would love to see it as a stage play and i think yeah i mean i'll get into why a bit later but yeah no i'm glad you said that it is very much and for anyone who hasn't seen it or has seen it watch it again and think that in mind and yeah there's just so many moments where you think my god you could adapt this as like a short a short piece of thing i'm surprised it hasn't been done already oh like we said i think a few weeks ago like a red dwarf stage production i'm amazed yeah. that hasn't been been done in some way shape or form um, I mean, we're we're off ship again twice in two. I, I wrote yes. I, I wrote in my notes. Oh, wow! You can tell the budget's gone up. Gone up. We've had two episodes in the series, and both of them are off the ship. Yeah, so. we've moved into a kind of new era for the show now. Not only in the cast changes that have happened, but also in the kind of style of stories they're telling. It's much more. Uh, I think here it becomes much more of an adventure comedy show, whereas. Before yeah. it was a very much more of the kind of more traditional sitcom, as in two people in a 
reoccurring set. You know, it was yeah. the same people in a reoccurring set, like you would get on a sitcom. Either you know, you get the Friends Coffee House or whatever. They, you oh, know, yeah. they had that with the bunk and stuff. But now it's this is where it starts to transform into more of an adventure comedy show, mm. which I don't oh, think hey, it really was in the first two series. If that's where it's going, I'm all for it. Because I think I, I think I said at one point, probably during series one. Because, of course, as we said, when it started, I guess it had a lot lower budget as well. And um, you'd think, like, um, you know, that this was... Oh, so this show's only going to take place on the ship. Because I think all of Series 1 was on Red Dwarf. And there was one or two instances in Series 2 where we were off it. But we were still predominantly on the ship. And I think I said at some point in there, I said, if the series going forward, like all the rest we've got, are primarily on the ship... I'd be like, that's fine. But I feel like even with like the most clever jokes and writing, there's only so much you can do on, oh, we're alone on a ship. Do you know what I mean? So I'm glad we're starting to break away from that now. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I noticed continuity wise, and again, these sort of things don't really matter in a in a comedy sort of essentially Mm. a sitcom, really. But Rimmer can seemingly go off the ship without his cage anymore. (laughs) I thought this, yeah, because that was the whole with was him it being a hologram, two? wasn't it? Yeah, when they were doing like the they're having like a little hangout on that planet, like a little rock concert. Yeah, and I was in his cage. Yeah, he had to have a I little suppose... hologram emitter cage, but now he can I just su- go anywhere. You, you thought they would have even written a short line about, oh, maybe they, you know, they managed to like upgrade the system where he didn't need it. Uh, to be honest, I thought it would have been included in that bloody text crawl from last week that zipped by so fast. But <laughs> yeah, they could have done not, they? So they could have. But um, as you say, I must admit, I didn't think of that throughout this episode. So I think they knew it was like such a thing that people at this point probably weren't going to kick up a fuss about and i think how i guess it'd be really limiting as well if everywhere yeah. like poor chris barry had to be stuck in wheeled around a cage. in a cage <laughs> yeah the um the relationship between the two of them though we get a bit of information about a bit more of an insight into their history as well because mm. there were references to you know their relationship and their friendship even before the before the accident and before they were alone and stuff like rimmer buying Lister a birthday present but borrowing the money from him to buy it and then not even spending all of that money on the birthday present but and he's never paid him back but that like he he obviously considers him enough of a friend to have bought it wanted to buy him a birthday present yeah I mean that's place. that surprised me I was like that's cute that he bought him a birth. I mean obviously it soured a bit by the fact he stole the money or whatever but yeah, I, I think it, it shows shines of like again, like we've said before, that despite all their bickering and banter, like they are the classic, you know, like old married couple. Like they do really care for each other, um, and I think we sort of, or at least respect each other. And there are trimmings in here where we do see that, for better or worse, as well. We get um, a, a view of the logo on in universe as well on Rimmer's we do. coat jacket, which is the thing. I think we didn't get that last week because last week it was the first time the famous red dwarf logo appeared in the titles. It now was. we get it in universe. Yeah. And nice I, I, I was surprised. Yeah. Cause I think before we've seen, we've seen like their uniforms or ever say red dwarf, but like you say, not the in universe logo as it, as it were. The model work was excellent as well, as always. You know, everything with Starberg and crashing on this planet, like just brilliant, brilliant model work. Yeah, that's, I mean, we say that so much because that is literally always the case. I've not, I don't think they've done a bad ship model work yet. The only, the one time we had criticisms of the model work was when they used a model person to be ejected out of a ship. Yeah, and it looked a bit hokey. (laughs) Yeah, the ships are great absolutely they're very sorry before we go on they reminded me um i don't know why it was particularly when starbug was crashed in the snow i was like it's very jerry anderson it reminded me a lot of things like you know thunderbird 2 and just like the way it was designed and the the writing on the side yeah just it felt very jerry anderson in a good way i don't know how big these original models were really i don't Mm. know what the scale was They, they must have been working to quite a large scale i think like yeah, uh, I was about to demonstrate with my hands, and then I realised <laughs> we're on a podcast. That's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they're this big. Well, I mean, they, they do. They have the model red 
dwarf ship as well, which Starbug is housed within. So I must imagine, yeah, that that ship is pretty large, and then the Starbug one is large-ish. You know, I don't think it's a... I don't think for any figurine experts, I don't think we're talking, you know, any, like, 5.5 scale toys you can buy in the shop or whatever, you know, but, yeah. There'll be some behind-the-scenes footage of them, like, literally manoeuvring it, probably on the DVDs, that um, we should probably look at to find out about that. Mm. So they're crashed, and they're kind of without power and... Without warmth, Lister's getting very cold. They've started to burn books and things to mm. to keep Lister warm. Uh, at one point, he's the the food rations have kind of all but gone, and he's got yeah. two choices left: dog food or a pot noodle. And I love that pot noodles were still the butt of a joke even back in nineteen eighty nine. Um. Because obviously he says, I'd rather have the dog food because he hates pot noodles. And this is probably me showing my age here. But like, I've always thought pot noodles, like when I was growing up in the, sorry in advance to any listener, in the early 2000s when I was growing up, um, pot noodles, I'm so sorry, pot noodles. I feel so old. (laughs) Pot noodles seem to like appear in the shop. So I don't know if they ever like went out and then they came in with like new pot noodle or whatever. But they always seem fairly like newish to me. So hearing it here, which this episode was made in 1989, um, I was a surprised to hear it because I didn't think pot noodles would had gone on for that long. But also, as I say, it made me laugh that people still took the mick out of them even way back then. I think pot noodles have been around for a while. Uh, I remember them in the late 90s. Oh, okay. I remember being at school and we would have. Like once a year, we did this like all night sponsored sports hall thing where we would spend the night in the sports hall just doing a variety of games, and we'd all take in pot noodles too because that's what we could like fill up. There was a kettle wow. to make drinks with, but also we could make <laughs> our pot noodles with it. So Gosh. they've been around a while, I think. They probably have a marketing blitz every so often, don't they? That's probably what probably. we bought. And I'm when they went through um, the books to burn. I did love that. Obviously, you had like the food jokes, which was pretty funny. It makes you realize how many authors have food related names as well. Because he was going through, I was like, oh, yeah, that's like a food related name. And I loved his um, Harold Pinter, just because, <laughs> as, as I'm sure you appreciate as well, as, a, as an actor and theater goer, that, that, made, that tickled me a little bit. Because I've heard several people say, oh, is that that Harold Pinter? And I'm going, oh, no, Pinter, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, in, talking of the book, books um one book they bring up is uh lolita <laughs> yes yeah. uh which lolita i think it's fair to say has been uh quite reassessed in the last few years especially you know in light of recent uh social movements and things like that it's mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah and so i i don't know what because uh, because the way it comes up in the book is that he's going to burn it and then um uh rimmer says oh save page 61 right. and and lister looks at it and, po- and then pockets it i've never read the book i have seen a film version of it the one with okay. um who a uh, famous actor can't remember his name see i've heard of lolita but you might have to again maybe show my age if it's if we can do it in a PG way, you might have to explain what the whole original controversy was. I know you said now it's been like reassessed and stuff. Yeah, but... well, the I mean, I think there was probably always questions about it. But the, the basic plot of it is man moves in to a boarding place. This is like, I can't remember when it's set, but okay. uh, maybe like mid 20th century. Uh, something oh, okay. around there. Uh, man moves into like, a, he's lodging with a woman mm-hmm. and his daughter and her daughter. He sort of starts a relationship with the woman, but right. then ends up having a, a questionable sexual relationship with the daughter who is, I don't know, I don't know how even know how old she's meant to be, um, ah. but definitely a teenager. Right. Um, <laughs> I see. <laughs> uh, so there is, you know, it's... Questions, yeah, mm, as you say. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. When, yeah, so I've just Googled it. In the novel, Lolita is only 12 when Humbert first meets her. In the film, her age was changed to 14. That's not necessary. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) They're they're suggesting pocketing a a 
page of this novel where presumably they're they're saying it because it's got some explicit details on about this relationship and i'm like okay so so do you think back in night like on original broadcast then like in 1989 that would have been like a very like hot take edgy joke i don't know i'm not sure i have a feeling like i because it's it it's one of those books that i think is has like literary merit inverted commas but then more and more recently it's been sort of questioned like okay this is a dodgy story yeah i mean it's i mean it doesn't like i mean i don't know i would like to say i've only seen the film but the film doesn't betray him in a good light necessarily i mean it it, right it it does kind of like in the body of it glamorizes it a little bit and then towards the end i was many years ago when i saw it right um uh, yeah so just the fact that they're like pocketing a bit of this book it was like oh okay it's odd isn't it because like i said i've i've very vaguely heard of the name lolita but i uh, you know until you just explained it then i didn't know so the joke sort of you know Mm. i assumed that he kept like a dirty picture or something but the thought like that whole context didn't hit me because i didn't know so i guess maybe it's a Again, it's a perspective thing. Because I bet you there'd be loads of people who start watching it, like me, you may be younger, who, you know, they might come to that joke and not realise the full, I guess, gamut of what it was trying to do. Yeah. I thought it was interesting as well, because one thing we didn't mention, when they're bonding earlier on, there's a reference to, they ask, they they sort of exchange uh, stories about losing their virginity. Yeah, it's their first time. Lister's (laughs) is when he was 12. So I don't know if maybe it was put in like uh, as that kind of link. See that that would because as soon as you s- explain the plot and was saying this this girl in the book's meant to be twelve, it instantly clicked with that thing uh, Lister said. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I did. But it's, it's interesting because for me, see, because I didn't know that context when it came to that bit, and he's saying he was twelve, I instantly sort of like tensed up a bit and went like, "Whoa, like what are we?" what are we insinuating here, you know? And then, and I know like, you know, Rimmer's playing it all for laughs, talk, joking about the golf course and not being a full member and all that sort of stuff, which which probably makes it less uncomfortable than it could have been had they gone into further detail. But it's interesting, because I guess maybe someone who knew the Lolita thing full out might have, like you just said there, made that, connect- oh, they're doing like a Lolita gag or something rather than going like, whoa, yeah. okay. Like lost it when you were 12. That's a bit like, yikes, that's a... That's a red alarm, <laughs> you know. So, well, we and, don't. I don't think we found out like the age no, of the they, person he. Yeah, they the smartly Lister didn't dive into have... it any further. I think. Uh, yeah, it was just that initial thing when he said it. You know, it's that sort of thing when you go, "Ooh, okay, like this is a, this is a comedy." <laughs> it's a bit. Like... But um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I just have it, and it's one of those things where I think, the nineteen eighties, they, <laughs> I think they just like would would joke about they more edgy, stuff man. that <laughs> yeah that just feels like slightly wrong to joke about they will say i mean it's like we've said before like do you think if they made it now they'd either get away or like dare to put a joke like that even no, even I, as it yeah. is say you don't change it do you think they wouldn't do it at all like mm, i don't know maybe they would have kept the lister one in because i think that's not quite as like he it, we don't know who the age of the person that he's meant to have Hmm. Uh, to have done it with so maybe i don't know yeah. it's an odd one isn't it it's all about yeah. it's, as we say it's all about perspectives and when it was made and all that sort of stuff and yeah Let's the only people who really comments know, below please do yeah keep it pg um but yeah i guess the only people who really know are the the guys who wrote it i suppose yeah so the other bit of that uh that whole conversation about them uh they're, they're losing their virginity stories was that my thought when Rimmel was talking about his was that, wait a minute, this isn't Yvonne McGruger? Who, who is this Sandra person? I thought he had only slept with Yvonne McGruder. That was what yeah. we've been led to believe in the first two seasons. It's, they, it's the silly getting hung up about continuity issues in a show where continuity doesn't really matter. We've said this before, haven't we? Sometimes sometimes they seem really on it for like taking the most tiny reference they've made and like sticking through with it. And then there'll be other things where they're just like, nah, forget about it. We're we're changing it. So 
yeah, like Rimmer's Cage, this just seems to be another one of those changes, apparently, for the sake of for the sake of comedy. Or he's just making it up there and <laughs> or then, he's I just guess. I mean, again, that is very Rimmer. He could just be chatting absolute rubbish. Uh, I have to say, one of my favourite moments in this is when they're discussing about uh, burning the books, particularly the Shakespeare book. Um, just because, again, you know, when you're an actor, it's sort of drilled into you how important Shakespeare is and you need to be up on your Shakespeare and you've got to know, like, all the plays and all the speeches. And just the way... Rimmer bigs it up and then gets you know called out. Oh, do you know any speeches? <laughs> the the Richard the Third. Oh, like, that killed me when he did the now and then just stopped because. And it's I, it's the fact that he even goes into the hunch as well. He does the hunch. He yeah. does the hunch. Like and and really gets into character for the hunch and he's like now and then and then stops. that's it. That's that's as much like, of the speech as he knows. <laughs> That is the epitome of every actor who's had to go through the, you must know every line of Shakespeare ever written and then just not absorbing any of it. Like, so that made me howl on a, on a personal level. Um, yeah, that was that was good. And, um, you know, when he ate the, when he comes around, because let's face it, as we all would, Lister eventually, I think this after six days, finally cracks and has to eat something. So he goes for the dog food. Now we see something on a spoon enter Craig Charles's mouth. You don't reckon it was dog food? Apparently like for not. for real? No? Oh, we no. know what it is, do we? Appar- well, apparently, according to the trivia section of IMDb, mm. it, is not, it was not real dog food. I don't ah. know if it says what it actually is, um, but it wasn't think, dog food. I think my instinct was, no, it surely wouldn't be, because, you know, that would... There's probably health and safety things, but... Well, it was the eighties. Who knows? But um, whatever look it, it up. was, they, give me a second. Yeah, whatever it was, they made they did a good job in making it look dog food esque. I suppose. Contrary to popular rumors, the dog food eaten by Craig Charles in this episode was not real. He says in Red Dwarf All Change Series Three, which I'm guessing is a DVD extra, that it was uh-huh. actually tuna mixed with meat jelly. Oh, okay. Though we added that it might as well have been dog food as it tasted horrible. <laughs> oh, that, that partly explains his good reaction to it then. Because I, I said in my notes, he sold it, you know, whether it was dog food or not, he sold that scene. So, What I liked yeah. about that scene, I, I, did, I don't know if it made you think of this, but when he's describing what he's going to imagine it tastes like to try and like, you know, trick yeah, himself yeah, yeah, yeah. as he was the way he was describing it sounded like those M&S adverts from a few years ago <laughs> you know that I think I this know isn't just mean, any yeah. uh <laughs> yeah beef this is succulent uh <laughs> flambe with you know flambe etc <laughs> etc et I'm not sure what the exact words he said were but uh the yeah it sounded like one of those M&S adverts Maybe I'll mm. maybe I'll find the music that the MNS Everts oh, please do and then and play it, it underneath it. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this isn't dog food. This is a piece of prime fillet steak in blue cheese sauce. It's been charcoal broiled in garlic butter and it's going to taste delicious, delicious, delicious. Yeah, that's right, MNS. Especially under <laughs> at the time of recording, and they're in their own thing at the minute, aren't they? Over bloody cake. Um, <laughs> yeah, Colin push. the caterpillar. Yeah, good old Colin. Or Cuthbert the caterpillar. Or cu- whatever. They're all. They're all. Are they? They're all the same, really, aren't they? Um, <laughs> tangents aside, um, I mean, when it comes to the point, you know, because well, they 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 keep saying they have to keep warm. Though it's only really Lister, as you said earlier. I don't, it's funny. Rumor keeps emphasizing, like, oh, we've got to burn things. We've got to burn things. It's like, on one hand, that's really sweet because he's clearly doing it for Lister, because it's not to his benefit. But he keeps saying we. It's like, dude, you don't need the warmth. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, they've run out of books. Shakespeare's been burned. All of it's been burned. Um, so they have to come down to possessions, um, including, a well, Rimmer's got his trunk. And I thought this whole thing was a really good comment about, like, material possessions and how we can view material like it sounds very basic but i feel like it was it was put across in a way that wasn't just hey you shouldn't care about your material possessions there's more important things that was the message but i feel they did it in a more i don't know a less preachy way yeah and there was 
it, you know, this is probably the first time this whole section, we'll get into what happened in a minute, but anyway, this whole section and how it ended was probably the first time that I have actually generally felt sorry for Rimmer. Like, I felt mm. like he's the one that's, that, you know, I'm on his side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean... I think it does at first it shows a good duality between them because they both clearly have these at first these materialistic attachments you know Rimmer's got like the trunk and his soldiers which have a lot of sentimental value um, which Lister chastises him for at first but then as soon as his guitar gets mentioned it's like that that comedy bits really well you know he's like oh you know or is it we can just like burn anything on your guitar except my guitar <laughs> like just yeah and it sort of shows his hypocrisy a little bit which is especially more prevalent because it is to keep him alive and he's you know he yeah. thinks he thinks Rimmer should burn his stuff Rimmer's stuff to keep him alive but he's not willing to burn his own thing to keep Rimmer and to keep himself alive it's that it's that reminder i think you know how they say well, they, I think they even said the analogy, the whole, you know, your house is on fire, you run back in to save a material thing, but only end up losing your life as well. It's very much, you know, I think we can all admit, you know, we, we probably all own things that have, like, personal value or sentiment, but, and even if we lost them, you know, we'd probably be upset or sad about it, but you'd like to think 90% of the time we can we can eventually get on with life, you know, I think it's just a good comment about not being so... Like, yes, you can have... I think it was saying, like, you can have value in these things. You can place sentiment and uh, you, part of your person on them. But it's the the danger is getting to the point where, I guess, you start to become unreasonable when it concerns them in, like, a life-or-death situation. And I know this is in a sci-fi comedy, um, so I may be reading way too deep into it, but I think it's I think it's prevalent. You know, it's that thing of... You know, like take for anyone listening, take the most valuable material thing you own and say, right, either you burn this or you or you die. But if you burn it, you live, you know, then what you know, I know it's hypothetical, but I think yeah. in most cases people would burn it because they cherish life more. I don't know. Again, I might be going far too deep into it, but that is really what I got from it. I like the sort of duality it shows between how much investment into materialistic possessions can play on you because i think it's something a lot of you know especially like sci-fi fans think about because you know let's face it a lot of us are collectors to some degree you know we all like to dabble in the occasional thing um and i'm not saying we're all obsessed to the point where we'll like do anything for but you know what i mean there's probably one or two things that we all own or have gathered over the years that was really special and if we had to lose that we'd be pretty hard torn or pretty gutted about it you know and then of course eventually lister says he will do burn the guitar but can he have he one does. last song on it and the song goes on a little <laughs> longer deliberately i think so that yeah rimmer gets a bit tired of hearing it and goes for a walk when you at which point lister carves out a guitar shaped hole out of rimmer's trunk and yeah. burns that instead and hides his other one uh you know which is such an underhanded thing to do <laughs> Yeah, and it's a flawed plan from the start. Like, wh why did he think Rimmer would was never going to look at the trunk again? Like, it was yeah. such a flawed plan. He was going to find <laughs> out. Well, I guess, I guess he thought that they were, they might end, he might end up dying. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so it was worth it, clearly. But I don't know. Yeah, but no, but it's, then, it is very unhanded. I agree. It is underhanded. And then what makes it like even worse is that Rimmer comes back, and like after they've rescued, after they've been rescued. Because at mm. that point they get rescued, and he's like praising, Rimmer is praising Lister to the other two to Cat and crying, going, "I underestimated this man. I, you know, judged it yeah, a book by yeah. its cover, and I didn't give him the respect he deserves. But now I respect this man." And then he's like, and then Lister just comes back in after you know after they're about to head off to the to the ship again, and just walks past him. And then takes the guitar, guitar from his hiding place and walks out without saying a word. And it just the look on both of their faces it, as he's doing that. It really does paint Dave in such a horrible light, which is shocking because, like you said, most of the time, like he, he'll do like odd things, but we you root for him. But this time, you can't you can't really justify what he did because it was 
I think where he'd get away with it more is if the thing that he got rid of Rimmer's was something more trivial. But like we're saying, this is Rimmer's like big emotional linchpin. Yeah. In fairness to, I mean, in slight defense of Lister, I suppose, they, he, Rimmer hadn't told him exactly how important the chest was until after that he'd is done true. it. And that is true. He, he knew it was a keepsake from his family and stuff, but he didn't, he didn't go into the emotional, like, it's only once he'd come back and saw it burning and he went, I'm glad, I, you know, and then he starts saying, oh, you know, after you've given this sacrifice, I should burn my wooden models. And, and Which he see, does. He does. <laughs> and you can just see how bad Lister kind of feels at that moment. Yeah. I mean, it is, yeah, as you say, that's a slight defence, but it, it it is still awful. Oh, the yeah, fact that still he awful. manipulated his colleague and friend. And, and to be honest, I thought, um, shows how this show keeps averting me. When he went to get the guitar, I thought he was going to get it and then just chuck it and still not say a word, but that would be <laughs> like his apology. He'd just get it, throw it, and then leave. Um, but instead, as you say, he just takes it and leaves, which is really awful. Like, it, it, you know, to not even say such, you know, it's it's a really awful thing. And, of course, the the final line we get is quite a funny one where... He says, Crichton, get the hacksaw. I'm going to do to Lister what Alexander the Great did to me. Uh, which means if you don't know what a eunuch is, just um, Google the definition or get a history book. Um, we don't have to tell you here. But um, it's it's not particularly pleasant. Um, which makes me think, Phil, because we've had this before where Red Dwarf will end on like a cliffhanger or like a moment of consequence. And then the next episode will either act like it's already happened or that or it doesn't happen or and i feel out of all and i know it's a comedy and comedies do it all the time where they'll end with sort of a cliffhanger quotes cliffhangery thing and then they'll forget about it for the next episode but i feel out of all of them we've had so far this is the one i'd want to see sort of a resolution to <laughs> because no because it is such a horrible thing he does and i just feel like to sort of walk away from that with I'm not saying he should go with his threat about the hacksaw, but I mean, to go through it with sort of no consequence to their like friendship or how they interact would be, even in a comedy, I feel it'd just be a little bit of a shame. Now that's interesting because I didn't really view this as a cliffhanger. I was okay. just like, this is just something he's saying in the moment of being angry. And obviously he's not going to actually chop off anything. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't even expect that to be res- like mentioned again. Oh, it was enough. just, a, I think it was just a funny line to end on. Oh, it, it, yeah, it was a funny line to end on. I think I, sometimes I have to sort of tear away from myself that, like, because this show, even though it's comedy, it has its, as we've said before, like, slower, more, like, dramatic moments, where, the, especially in the episode, episode when they're just, like, talking about material possessions and stuff. Like, they inject comedy into it, but there are moments when I have to remind myself, like, this is not strictly a drama so it will not have those like drama tropes of carrying threads on or necessarily mm. acting on consequences after and you're probably right i mean next week it will i'll probably say yeah they didn't talk about that and i i won't hold it against it too personally i think i i think it's just that mindset where i'd like to see some sort of shift not forever but even just for one episode but i don't you know it probably won't happen so we'll see we'll um, see yeah. We'll see. What did you have a favorite, funniest moment of the episode? Funniest moment. I mean, we've already mentioned it has to be the Shakespeare bit. That just, I think partly because, you know, be, having that drilled into me as an actor, the whole you must know you Shakespeare. And it just, the Richard III impression, the quote, yeah, that that tickled me. So I'd, I'd give it to that. What about you? I think that I wrote down several and I was trying to pick between them. There were just, there were quite a good few moments which had me laughing out loud this week i'm gonna give it to when they're talking about losing lister losing his virginity and he's talking about being a golf course okay and the moment where it's just this it's rimmer's response to it when he finds out he's 12 first of all he's like so how old were you and then he carries on with the story without saying it how old were you and he was like, and then I took my skateboard. He's like, your skateboard? How old were you? <laughs> but then when he says he's 12 oh. and he goes, 12? <laughs> you can't have been a full member of the golf club then. <laughs> it's just the way he says it's that. Just... I think we've said before, haven't we? The way like um, 
the way Chris Barry does like facial expressions is he gets it spot on every time, like whether it's minimal or big, he's no, it's a great response. Absolutely. And we also usually pick a favorite character, but to be honest, I don't think I, mean... I can pick between these two in this episode. They're both so good. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's not going to be anybody else because nobody yeah. else was like hardly anybody else was, was really in it. In it. Yeah. But yeah. we'll give it to both know. of them. Why not? Let's would, we would you do that as well? Should we give I'll it give both it to of both of them, yeah. Okay. Two my my alternative one was to see who you gave it to and give it to the other one. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Pipped you to the pose. But yeah, no, definitely. I'd, I'd happily give it to both of them. And, yeah. You know, it'd be great to see a stage version. Like we said, it'd be cool. Yeah. What about ranking? How many scutters out of 10 would you give this episode? Ranking. I would give it a... Oh, I've got two in my head. Come on, I'll make a decision. Okay, I'm going to give it 7.5, you know. Ah, okay. Only because, you know, it didn't make me laugh as much as I thought, but I appreciate that in this episode all the time that might not have been the point. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I just think, again, maybe I'm being too harsh because, as I've said, a lot of the moments made me think more of a drama. This felt more like a drama on the whole rather than a comedy, like a drama mm. with funny lines rather than a comedy with like one dramatic line here and there, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I just wish there'd been more of it, I suppose. I wish, and again, the whole thing I mentioned about consequences. So bear in mind, listeners, my ranking is very much based on I think I am thinking in drama terms, which might be a bit unfair, but I'm going to I'm going to stick by it. I'm going to stick by it. Those two are brilliant, though. Most of the points go to Craig Charles and Chris Barry for just selling it. So, yeah. Yeah, I will give it. I think I'm going to give it an eight. I did. Okay. I, I really liked uh, I thought it was good at, you know, to focus on those two. Ca- well, I th- the, the focus on those two characters was done really well, and it is good to see uh, mm. where I I'm slightly disappointed is more the placement of this episode in the series, which okay, if I interesting, <laughs> yeah, because we are in a situation where we're only two episodes into a series which has introduced effectively two new characters. We've got Crichton, although we've had him before, but it's played by a new actor, and we've got a new version of Holly, and we have spent almost no time with them in those two I did, episodes. I did think that, yeah, yeah. And I just think that they needed to have a more of a focus here in this episode on them, and they're just kind of not in it. So I'm a bit disappointed about that, and that kind of loses its points for me. I mean, but this episode, if it had been later on in the season and exactly the same, I think would be fine. So it, it's if it feels a little bit unfair because it's not the episode's fault itself. It's just more its placement. Because... Yeah. You don't need to have a full focus on the whole cast every time, but it's because we haven't seen very much of them at all. You're right. For an ep- for an episode two, this feels like a weird one to do. This is more like, I guess, like a penultimate episode, maybe like an episode five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was good, uh, and I enjoyed mm-hmm. the seeing the you know seeing how their relationship is tested by this. Uh, you know, they've all got a kind of rivalry anyway and seeing yeah. that played out in this really claustrophobic, confined space. I mean, the whole show, the basic premise of the show is kind of these two people being thrown together to just put up with each other. But that's on yeah. a massive ship. Here, yeah. it's the same thing, but in a really confined space where they can't really get away from each other. And, yeah. you know, one of them is on the verge of dying because <laughs> there's no heat or food. Yeah, it was good to explore. And there were lots of moments where I laughed out loud. So, yeah, oh, eight. Eight, eight nice, solid. And I don't know if you noticed this, just very quickly. There is a, in inverted commas, post credit scene. Because um, I watched, I mean, I watch the credits every week just because I like the theme song. But um, after I noticed the credits, uh, we get a shot of Starbug in the snow. Um, but that's it. It holds, it's very, it holds on Starbug for 10 seconds. No music, just like the the winds of the planet. And then it cuts to the production company that made it. And I was like, okay. Oh, that's like, odd. I didn't stay to the end of the credits, so I did not know so that. I, so I wrote like, so are they implying Starbuck hasn't moved? And I wrote like, are they stuck there? Question mark? Well, Cat and, and Crichton arrived on Blue Midget, so I'm guessing they, they all went back 
to Red Dwarf and Blue Midget and just left Starbuck there? Yeah, I don't, it, it was just very weird. Because, again, like, nothing... It is literally just a shot of Starbug in the snow for about 10 seconds, and then it fades. Huh. And I was like, it's just a very... I, again, like, if anyone listening, if you watch this on... If you know anything more about this, let me know. Like, did they include it on transmission if you watched it? You know, is it on the DVDs or is it some Netflix... Is it a Netflix thing, which is where I'm watching it? It's just... It was just seemed like a very weird thing to include, like, right after all the credits, bar, like, the last one. You know, it was and just And then Nick odd. Fury comes on and says, well, I'm putting <laughs> together a team. I'm putting together a team, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, imagine that. But, um... Yeah, no, I just just thought it was worth mentioning. It was a very bizarre 10 seconds, but yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. We'll see if anything comes of that next week, I guess. Maybe yeah, that's I'm gonna the cliffhanger. I'm going to keep my eyes open now. At the end of it, when I watch the credits, I'll be like, oh, is there a yeah. spare 20 seconds going? So, yeah. Well, we will be back next week. Next week is uh, Polymorph, I believe, is the next episode. So oh. that is another one of those fan favorite ones. So there we go. See, I was going to say that rings a bell. That title, either someone's told me, so either someone said you'll really like Polymorph. I think that's where I've heard it. But mm. yeah, yeah. Ready so we'll for be it. back to review that next week. And uh, in the meantime, you can check us out on various places online. Adam, where can mm. they find you? So if you want to find me on YouTube, I have my own channel, which is Adam Martin with a Y. Um, I make videos on Doctor Who at the minute primarily, but I do a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, various pop culture ins and outs, just things I'm interested in. And um, if you want to follow my work, just follow me on Twitter, Adam Martin Actor, for my daily ramblings. Um, what about you, Phil? Uh, well, I'm on YouTube. You may well be watching this on YouTube. <laughs> or you might be watching it on Spotify, not hearing it on Spotify even, or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or any of those other places it's available. But um, if you're not on my YouTube channel already, then it's Philip Hawkins, 1L. It's nice and easy to find. Well, <laughs> apart from the fact that there's there's lots of Philip Hawkins's. There's, there's a there's a film director called Philip Hawkins who I follow on Twitter hey. just because he has shares the same name as me. Or you can find me on Twitter, which is i u d e x underscore phil, where I also tweet about Doctor Who a lot and other stuff. Oh, well, my YouTube channel is not all Red Dwarf and Doctor Who. You know, MCU and other pop culture yeah. things I enjoy as well. Well, then, I guess we will see. Oh, you know what we haven't done for a while? Hell, have we not done? let's do it. Uh, yeah. I didn't pre-warn you about this, but... No, um, let's do it. Let's do it. What would Dave Lister do? This oh, is yes. our semi-regular feature yes. about what would Dave Lister do in certain real-world situations. And the, I'm going to delve right in for a situation that I don't really understand myself. But I, I don't know... I think I know what you're going to say, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you a football fan? <laughs> I knew it. Um... I dabble. I am a uh, well. I'm an LFC supporter, but um, Ooh, I'm not very like mad in- for you then. I know. I'm not like mad into it, but I'll watch the I'll watch the odd game. Because on, what what's this the, week? What's the- they're all yesterday, today. I can't even remember when when we're recording. They've announced that several Premier League clubs are, are breaking away to form a European Super League. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> it but sounds like a superhero team. It does. Let's the form the Super, Super League. Super League. Yeah. To fight the evil villains. I mean, there'll probably be loads of football fans screaming at us for this because we don't really know. But from what I've been taught, it's something to do with the fact they've made it will somehow mean that the... Because o- it's been made by the owners of the clubs, I believe. And somehow, whether it's through more sponsorships or attendance it will basically mean they get more money um, yeah. but it doesn't help like obviously the play uh the fans who have to like pay and uh i think a lot of the players have spoken out and it's it's basically a, a conflict of interest because i think they said in germany or my dad said that a, a 50 they in law 51 percent of football clubs have to be owned by fans instead of oh, okay. like individuals or companies i guess or whatever whereas obviously in a lot of other European territories, Spain and here, that is not the case. Because um, let's face it, the football industry has been accused for years of being greedy and, you know, full of money. And so I think this space, from what I understand, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but from what I understand, this whole thing apparently makes that worse. Yeah. Well, if it does or it doesn't, that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss no. what would Dave List think about it and what would he do about it? Oh, uh, well... He's I from mean, Liverpool. He is. 
And sadly, LFC seem to be one of the founding members of this superhero team. Um, and he seems to be a sports fan. I don't know, although he hasn't expressed a particular affinity for football. But this is the far future. N- um, yeah. Some there was some I mean, kind of astro sport. Yeah, it's like astro. He, yeah, astro I've, hockey well, or something. He's into his sport, but like, what do you think he does? He like money more? Do you think? Um, being that's honest, a good question. But he wouldn't be I've, getting any of the money, so. Well, it depends. Say, are we talking from his perspective as a fan or ah, as like an true. owner of a owner of a club? Because mm. I feel as like not trying to talk Dave, but you know we've seen Dave Lister likes money. He likes a bit. I mean, even in the episode we talked about, he saw the twenty four grand Rimmer had saved and was like, "Hey, up, you know, twenty four grand." Yeah. So, I'd, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think if he was an, I think if he was a fan, yeah, he'd be like, like I think a lot of fans, like no complete opposition to it. Because as I say, for the fans, it, they they don't benefit. Um, but as an owner of a club, I'd be slightly inclined to say maybe do it. But then maybe down the line, when he realizes maybe from like his mates or like his home grounds the damage it's doing, maybe he'd then rebuke it. But I think he'd be tempted. Yeah. I yeah. think so. What do you think? Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. Yeah. I don't think he's that into money. <laughs> okay. Like he yeah, he if he see when he saw the 24 grand he was like, "Oh, look at this." But I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. I don't know. He doesn't strike me as someone that would be like I'm going to screw people over to get money. Now, if it was Rimmer, <laughs> <laughs> Rimmer would absolutely do that. <laughs> Yeah, because he he treat it as like a military tactic for military military gain or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. No, I think he'd absolutely do it. I think. Let me put it this way: I think Lister would be more inclined to do it if he'd been like uh, talked into it or given like false information about it. Like if yeah. someone said, "Oh, we'll make you loads of money, but don't worry, the fans don't have to like pay anymore or whatever." Do you know what I mean? I feel if, if they swindled him in that way, yeah, then I think he'd do it. But I I think. Yeah, I think if he knew it was going to swindle, <clears throat> particularly working class folk like he is himself, I think he'd, yeah, I think he'd back away from it. But as they say, money money makes the world go round and it can it can sway a lot of people, sadly. That's just the sad truth of it, I suppose. But Yeah. Yeah. There we go. That's what we think Dave Lister would do. <laughs> do you <laughs> got any of suggestions mix, of yeah. what we could pose, uh, what pro- problems we could pose in our theoretical, hypothetical situations of what Dave Lister would do, let us know. Let us know. It's like what do. Jesus would do, but, you know, <laughs> Slightly less biblical. Yeah, slightly <laughs> less biblical. Yeah. Probably didn't wash as much. Probably not. So. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. See you later.